Well, tonight uh, we are picking up where we left off a few weeks ago in this series, uh, a systematic teaching on spiritual warfare and deliverance. And um, this teaching is arranged in several different parts, 101, 201, 301, 401, and each one has about three sessions. And so we're in the 201 section. And again, as I've been saying, if you missed any of these messages, you should really go back and listen to them because they kind of build on one another. Especially that 101 section just kind of lays a really good foundation for understanding why there is warfare in the first place. We live in a world at war. It's something we don't want to be obsessive about, right? Uh, but we need, to be, we need to be aware of. I mean, the Bible says, be alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls like a roaring lion. And so it's kind of like if there were lions out there, you don't want to be so fearful of the lions that you live your whole life, you know, never going outside. But it's when you go out, you are, you're armored up, you've got your weapons of your warfare, and you're alert, and you're sober, and you're taking precautions, right? Um, And that's how we need to live our lives as Christians. We need to be at total peace, because we know that we have uh, total protection, and we have no, we have total power over the enemy. So we have total peace, But we know that there's going to be confrontations, there's going to be warfare from time to time. And when it happens, we have peace because we know how to handle it, if we know how to handle it. And the reason we're really doing this is because a whole lot of Christians don't know how to handle it. And they don't know how to handle it because, especially the modern church in America, half half the church in America doesn't even believe in it. And so we never talk about it, so we don't equip the saints, and we read passages like Ephesians 6 and go, oh, our battle, you know, it's the battle, and uh, put on the armor of God so you can take your stand, and everybody's like, yeah, that sounds good, but we have no idea what that means or how to do that practically or how to live it out, and so that's really what we're, uh, what we're talking about tonight, um, and so tonight we're... We're in section 201 where we're talking about three sermons on three types of spiritual warfare. And, and really, you could call them three levels. And so last time, two weeks ago, we talked about uh, oppression, which is just general oppression. The enemy is attacking you or oppressing you in various ways. Oppression can look like many different things. But the thing about oppression, one of the key things that we talked about is that it can happen to anyone at any time for no good reason or sometimes for a very good reason, which is you are pursuing the will of God in your life in a much greater way and the enemy's trying to stop you. And so he oppresses you, he attacks you, he tempts you in a greater way. Okay, temptation is oppressing, oppressive thoughts, nightmares, bad dreams, you know, uh, presence in your house, you know, all these types of things. There's so many different types of oppression uh, that that we could go into, but uh, that's what we talked about last time. Tonight, what I want to talk about is a next level, (laughs) next level warfare, and it's strongholds. I want to talk about strongholds tonight and what they are and how to deal with them. Uh, when you discover that you may have some strongholds in your life or in your family. Um, and so, again, just to, just to recap, Mark 9, 29, Jesus said, these kind of demons only come out by prayer. And so that tells us two things. There's different kinds of demons. There's different kinds of evil entities or evil powers coming against us. And he said, these kind only come out by prayer. And so there's different strategies. There's different tools in the tool belt. Uh, that we need to use when we're engaging. So we need to be able to triage what type of warfare we're experiencing. And so, um, again, last time we talked about oppression. Tonight, we're going to talk about uh, oppression. And I do want to say this. um, If you're on our ministry team, um, 
if you have a word as I'm speaking, if you get a word or if you had one and, and you're like, oh, we didn't share, we didn't share that time um, or, or after communion like we do a lot, um, perhaps we can share those at the end. So uh, if, if nobody has one, that's fine. But um, I did want to throw that out there. So um, 2 Corinthians 10, we're going to look at verses 1 through 6. If you have a Bible and want to follow along, um, it'll be on the screen if you don't. And I want to, this is the passage, the really famous passage in Scripture where the Apostle Paul is writing to this church in Corinth, and he mentions the word stronghold. This is really the main place, uh, one of the only places in Scripture that it talks about strongholds in a spiritual warfare context. And I want to give you the context of, this, of that passage, so we're going to start in verse 1. So here we go. 2 Corinthians 10, starting verse 1. By the humility and gentleness of Christ, I appeal to you, I, Paul, who am, quote, timid when face-to-face with you, but bold when... Uh, towards you went away. I beg you that when I come, I may not have to be as bold as I expect to be towards some people who think that we live by the standards of this world. Paul's saying when I'm, when he's face to face with people, he's really timid because he's a really nice guy because that's the character of Jesus in him. You know, he's patient, he's kind, he's loving, he's meek, he's gentle with the people of God. He treats them as if they're his own children. And yet this church in Corinth was so full of a whole bunch of sin. And it's interesting because they were full of the Holy Spirit. You know, they had, they were one of the most, they were probably the most spiritual church as far as gifts of the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit. But the problem was, They had a whole lot of weird beliefs (laughs) and those wrong ideas and weird beliefs were causing them to act out their faith in some wrong ways. And and so Paul wrote some strong letters to them. In fact, he just the two previous chapters of this letter, he's talking about why they should give financially uh, to the church. The whole previous letter, he's writing to them about the division that he's uh, experienced, that, that they're experiencing in the church. He's, he's, they have forms of sexual immorality in the church that don't even happen in the world. Like, that's how bad it is. Really perverted stuff. And they want to use their spiritual gifts for themselves, right? They're like, oh, I got this cool spiritual gift, right? And a lot of it, like speaking in tongues, he spent a whole chapter, you know, talking about that because apparently we, we gather from the context that, when they would get together, they would all just speak in tongues the whole time. People, they weren't even preaching the gospel to each other, right? And he's like, man, and the reason is there's this like selfishness with spiritual gifts. And that's why he wrote 1 Corinthians 13. When you use spiritual gifts, it's, it's in love to serve one another, to, to build up the body of Christ. And so they wanted to argue and brag about which church leader they follow. And so they were arguing about who's better, you know, Apollos or Peter or Paul. And there was actually divisions among them. And they didn't want to be financially generous and help the greater church mission. And oh, by the way, they were getting drunk on the wine at communion at church. Can you imagine? Like like if we didn't have our little packets, you know, if that was real wine, nobody's getting drunk off that, right? But but apparently they had whole goblets of wine, right? And they're just, some people were drinking so freely at the church gatherings, they were getting drunk. So do you get the picture of how sinful this church is, right? And so he's writing to correct these wrong ideas because they have wrong ideas about God and faith. And 
really the issue <laughs> is their bad theology, they spirit, in their bad theology, they spiritualize self-worship. Selfish and self-serving Christianity, spiritual pride. And so that's what, that's what Paul is writing to correct. And in that context, so he's saying, when I show up, man, I hope I don't have to be as strong with you, some of you in person, as I've been in my letters. That's what he just said. And he's referencing all of those things that he's been writing about. And then he makes this statement. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. Why is he talking about strongholds in relation to everything, this selfish, self-serving Christian attitude? Because of what he says next and how he defines what a stronghold is. He says, we have divine power in our weapons, the weapons God gives us. How many of you know we don't just have the armor of God, we have the weapons of God. And it's, we talk about the sword of the spirit all the time, but that's just one weapon. There's actually many weapons that we have in Christ. And these weapons have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish so he says, our weapons demolish strongholds. And then he says, we demolish. That's a heads up that what he's about to say is the definition of what a stronghold is. We demolish arguments and every pretension. What's a pretension? It's an assumption you have about the world, about life, about yourself, about God that is actually incorrect. You've never really thought about it. Usually it's just how the culture is. It's just how the world is. And you just, you just go with the flow. And you're just doing what everybody else is doing because you've made some, the same assumptions that the world made. So that's what a pretension is. Arguments and pretensions, assumptions that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Whew, there's so much in this passage and then, he, and then the, last, the next verse he says, and we'll be ready to punish every act of, dis, of disobedience once your obedience is complete. He's like, some of you have been disobedient in ignorance, and we, we give you grace for that, so we're going to teach and train and correct you. But once you know, if you keep on doing wrong, oh, we're going to punish acts of disobedience, because that's what a good parent does. Why did they have all these wrong things that they were doing? Paul's saying, because you've got wrong ideas about who God is, about what these spiritual gifts are for, and about how to live your life. And because you have these wrong ideas or maybe these assumptions that set themselves up against the knowledge of God, you are, you are just mistreating each other. You're, you're giving God a bad name. You're making church look bad to the outside world. He's like, oh, there's all these problems and we need to deal with this. And so he's talking about tearing down strongholds. Strongholds. The Greek, the word here in Greek is the Greek word ahorama. The word strong, the word translated stronghold there. Ahorama. Look at your neighbor and say ahorama. Ahorama. And it means this. This is what it means. A castle, stronghold, fortress. That's literally what it means. So when, when this, when you Think of this word. I think we have a picture of like a, a castle, stronghold, fortress. Can you show that picture? It's this, okay? This is the picture 
of what he's referencing. Now, let's go back to the definition, and we'll come back to that picture here in a minute. So a castle, stronghold, or fortress, anything on which someone relies. Why is that? Because that castle, stronghold, fortress, that would be kind of in the center of a town or maybe on the, right on the edge of the town. And when the town gets attacked, all the people run inside the walls of the fort. Right now in America, we had forts like uh, Boonesboro. Anybody ever been down to Boonesboro, right? It's a fort. And then the villagers lived outside. And when the Indians would attack, ah, we run inside the fort. This is like the medieval version. You know that picture. So it's anything on which you rely. When you're in trouble, you run into this, right? Now we know the positive. God says, the Lord is my stronghold, the word says. God is like, I am this. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and they are safe. So when we get in trouble, God's like, I want to be your stronghold. But the enemy wants to set up strongholds in our hearts and minds and in our lives. He wants to have his strongholds. And so it's anything on which you rely. It's a, the word literally means castle, stronghold, fortress. And it refers to that type of structure or building. And listen to this next definition of the arguments and reasonings a person uses to fortify their opinion and defend it against their opponent. So it's the arguments, it's the reasons, it's the justifications, it's the ideas, it's the assumptions that we use to defend something in our lives, okay? But it sets itself, in, in this context, the stronghold is, is of the enemy, right? So it sets itself up against the knowledge of God, which means it's a lie. It's actually not true. But it's a lie. When you have a stronghold in your life, in your heart and in your mind, it's a lie that you're believing. Okay? Now, as I said, this is what a stronghold is, a, a castle fortress. I mean, that's a pretty intense type of structure. And this is really a good idea, I think, of what it's referencing here. This is a stronghold, right? As you can see, they've got big stone walls. There's like inner walls here. Then they've got outer walls. They've got towers where they can see the enemy and what they're doing when they're in battle. And so the townsfolk would run in and a lot of medieval ones had a, a little moat, which is like a lazy river, I guess, dug around it. And then there's a bridge and then there's a part of the bridge that's a drawbridge so they can all run in. They can put that up and the enemy can't get in there. But remember, in this case, the enemy is who? God, <laughs> right? If this is the stronghold of the devil, God is the enemy in this scenario, right? And so somebody's running in here and putting the drawbridge up to keep God out. Hmm, so who's doing that? In other words, a stronghold protects someone's presence. The stronghold protects the individual, protects the presence of someone in your life. This is, let me say it this way, a stronghold is the lies, wrong assumptions, or beliefs that we are agreeing with that actually protect 
a demonic presence in your life. And when you come to church and a man of God or a woman of God speaks truth and they start speaking truth to that issue that you deal with in your life, And they say, if this is you and you need to repent and you need to trust Christ and you need to give that up and you start getting frustrated and you start going, well, you don't know what it's like to be me. Well, I'm not as bad as someone else. And do you know what those beliefs are? You don't know what it's like to be me. I'm not as bad as someone else. Do you know what those ideas are? They're walls of the stronghold that's protecting that demonic presence in your life. And I'm here to tell you, this is literal We think this is all like spiritual metaphor a lot of the time. It is literal. When you have a stronghold in your life, there is a demon in your life. And from that place, it it influences you. From that place, it can cause symptoms of depression or anxiety or suicidal thoughts or the list goes on and on. Pain and sickness in your body. And then when sometimes when God tries to address it or bring it up and you go to church or a friend says, hey, have you ever thought about this? And you get offended. (laughs) Why do you get offended? Why do you get angry about it? You're being influenced by something that's not of the Lord. And it has pull. It has influence on you because even greater influence on you because you agree with it. And here's what I want to. the weight with which I want to help you understand this tonight. The devil's not trying to build a shack in your life. You have a picture of the shack. The devil's not trying to build this in your heart and mind against God. I mean, if this is what it was, you could go up and just throw some gasoline of Jesus and light a match, fire the Holy Spirit, and that thing's gone. Easy. He's not trying to build this, though. He's not trying to build a house in your life. To protect a little house he can live in in your That's a nice house. Now that's better than the shack. That would be better fortified than the shack. He's trying to build this right here. He's trying to build a fortress against God in your heart and mind. So that you can't live in the freedom of God. That God intends. And we need to know this is what he's trying to do. It's interesting because when God's trying to set someone free, someone who has a stronghold in their life, it's protecting the devil's presence. And you can't deal with a stronghold the same way you deal with oppression. I said last week that when you deal with oppression, oppression can happen to anyone at any time for no good reason. You can get spiritually attacked. And you need to triage why you're experiencing what you're experiencing when you are spiritually attacked or when you're having symptoms of spiritual warfare, right? You need to triage that and, th- and think about why am I experiencing this? And when it, when it is just solely oppression, one of the tricks of the devil is to try to get you to think that you've sinned in some way. It's your fault. You're broken. You're a mess. You're, you have mental problems. Whatever the thing is, right? To just... To just you know, navel gaze and, oh, I'm such a horrible person. God doesn't love me. I suck. 
so that you don't stand in your authority in Christ and just say, no, this is an attack of the enemy. When Jesus was tempted, he said three times, it is written. And after the third time in Matthew 4, verse 10, he said, away from me, Satan, for it is written. He's like, leave me alone. And then it says the devil left him. And so when it's oppression, we talked about last week, the way you deal with oppression is you pray. You stand in your authority and you say, in the mighty name of Jesus, I command this depression to leave me alone. I command this, these bad dreams to stop in the name of Jesus. When you discern, and as you've said, Lord, search me, know me, why is this happening? Lord, help me figure this out. And you realize you've not done anything to bring this on. You're not partnering or agreeing with anything of the enemy. You didn't sin in some way. You don't have any satanic objects or objects in your house that are spiritual but not Christian. And by the way, anything spiritual that's not Christian is not good. It's not a good influence, and you need to get it out. But when you've discerned that it's nothing you're doing, it's just an attack, you just need to stand firm and resist. You need to quote the word of God to that attack. In the specific, Jesus quoted specific scriptures, turn these stones into bread. It is written, man shall not live on bread alone. He, He quoted specific scriptures to what the specific thoughts were that he was being oppressed with. But here's the deal with strongholds. A stronghold is you've agreed with something. So you can't just go, when you have a stronghold, in fact, I think some deliverance ministers and ministries make a mistake when they sit someone down, it's like, oh, there's a demon in my life or I'm being oppressed or whatever. And they don't really interview the individual. They're like, what is it? Depression. In the name of Jesus, I command a spirit of depression to loose this burden. You need to go. You need to go in the name of Jesus. You know? And the person's like, hmm. Still depressed. (laughs) Or maybe they feel more depressed now. Because that was really powerful, man, and it didn't help. Now, if it's oppression, if it's just oppressive depression... Maybe that works. Probably does work. Probably helps. But if you have depression because maybe you've sinned in some ways, if you have depression because you've believed some lies of the enemy, if you have depression, and this is super nefarious, but you experienced some trauma, you didn't really do anything wrong, but it was so bad what happened to you, it caused you to feel so bad about yourself that you made some agreements and with some lies about who you are that actually aren't true, but it's a stronghold nonetheless. And so because a stronghold is you agreeing with something, you can't just go start to renounce the devil, <laughs> tell him to leave you alone. You can say it all you want, but it's not going to work. You know why? Can you put the picture back up of the strong, of the the real stronghold, that castle thing. Do the, do the real one that's like straight on. Yeah, that one. You know why it doesn't work? Because if you have a stronghold in your life, remember, it's a belief, assumption, idea that you are agreeing with that's a lie that's actually not true. And so when, the, when you start to renounce or you start to pray, you start to go, God, help me, or you, and you're focused on that issue, the devil runs into his stronghold in your life But guess who puts up the drawbridge? You do. (laughs) You're the one putting up the drawbridge. You're defending that thing in your life. 
And so even when a well-meaning friend or Christian minister comes along and goes, oh, that, oh gosh, that's actually not true. Ooh, you actually need to repent. You actually need to ask the Lord to forgive you. You need to actually just stop doing that. (laughs) Oh, this trauma, you were abused when you were young. You need to forgive that person because the stronghold is you hate them. And every time it's like, oh, unforgiveness is protecting a demonic presence of hatred. And it's from that place that you're actually depressed and you hate yourself. There's a whole lot of reasons, but you want to take your own life because of what happened when you were five. It's actually a stronghold. And so when I say you need to forgive them, you go, no. And you run into that same stronghold. You're partnering with the demonic presence and you put the, the drawbridge up. And so well-meaning friends, Christian pastors go, oh, I pray against the depression. I pray against, and we're shooting arrows and we're, we're sending catapult bombs at it, but it's just hitting the walls and bouncing right off. And it doesn't do anything. And then you, oh, I tried prayer. I tried this. I tried that. And so it's really important to triage why do you have the warfare that you have in your life? And like I said, warfare can look like Depression, anxiety, intense, intense negative emotions that are ongoing that don't let up. You know, we have negative emotions when bad things happen to us. That's part of the human experience. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking, and I'm talking about you lose a loved one, you're going to experience grief and loss. And maybe some anger or whatever. It's going to happen. You lose your job, you know, bad things happen, anything bad happens, you're going to have some natural emotions. But it says in Matthew 4, Luke 4, the temptation of Christ, it says, after Jesus resisted, he left for a more opportune time. And let me tell you, do you know when opportune times are? When really bad stuff happens in your life and you're upset. And the Bible says in your anger, do not sin. Why is that? Because anybody ever really notice it's really hard not to sin when you're angry? really hard. <laughs> you, anger is not a sin. God gets angry. But man, it's hard not to sin when you are angry. Amen? And some of you are too full of the Holy Spirit. You got too much self-control, but it's hard for me to not sin when I'm angry. It, that's Ephesians 4. In your anger, do not sin. And do not let the sun go down on your anger and give the devil a what? A foothold. Now, that's the NIV. KJV, or New King James, says, do not, nor give place to the devil. Don't give the devil a place in your life. The Greek word is topos for place. Place is the best translation in that verse. Don't give the devil a place. And the connotation is even a little place, even a tiny little place. Do you know what the Greek word topos means? It means an inhabited territory such as a city, village, or district. And so the word of God is saying, we all know, (laughs) you know, don't let the sun go down on your anger, okay? Let's take one of the most common. If you're married, you get into an argument as you're going to bed. The Bible's saying, you better mend that fence now before you go to bed. Why? Because you'll wake up in a funk, You're still upset about it. You don't deal with that. Anger you don't deal with turns to what? Bitterness. Bitterness that you don't deal with turns to what? 
resentment. Do you know what bitterness and resentment are lesser forms of? Hatred. And so the Bible is saying, deal with it when it's small. Because if you don't, you'll give the devil a small place in your life. But man, the devil's a bad dude. (laughs) He's a powerful dude. He's a smart dude. He knows what he's doing. And if you give him a little place and you let that place go and you think it's not a big deal, that little place is going to become a big place. That little foothold of a place, he's going to, from that little place, he's going to influence and seek to control your life and cause you to give in to that place more and more to where the foothold becomes a stronghold, from, to where the shack becomes the house, becomes the fortress. So you need to deal with it while it's small. And so the strongholds are the lies we believe that protect the devil's presence in our lives. And there's varying levels of the devil's presence in our lives. Um, And there's words we use to try to describe what that presence is like. But when you're dealing with the stronghold, as I said, you can't just start renouncing. You need to start once you've identified, oh, and by the way, a, sin, it's an action of sin is a stronghold. There's a stronghold involved, I should say. Um, and then you can have a stronghold of sin in your life. If, if it's a literal sin that you're committing, you, you need to repent. That is the first thing. Repent. Change your mind. Turn towards God. Ask the Lord to forgive you and commit to not do that sin. That's step one of dealing with the stronghold. However, you need to know this. The sin itself is actually not the stronghold. That's the result of the stronghold. And the more you do something in reality that is a sin, it it fortifies the stronghold. It builds up those castle walls, so to speak. The stronghold, think about this. Think about drug addiction. Is doing drugs for the purpose of getting high a sin? Yes. How do we know that? That's not in the Bible. Drunkenness. It's a drug. Alcohol's a drug, right? You're allowed to drink. You're allowed to drink alcohol, right? Scripture says it. Jesus drank alcohol. He drank real alcohol. I'm not going to go into that, okay? If you're defending that, you're just not an intellectually honest Bible interpreter, okay? I don't have time for that. All right. you're, You're not allowed to get drunk, The Bible is very clear on that. Alcohol is a drug, okay? We all know that. So there it is right there. Don't use drugs. Can you use drugs for medical purposes? Yes, absolutely. Go for it, all right? Can you use drugs recreationally to get high and have fun? No, that's inebriation, drunkenness, right? So take drug addiction or doing drugs. You do an action that's a sin, okay? But here's the deal, and this will help people recovering in drug addiction. Don't just sit there and think all day about, how do I not do drugs anymore? You know, don't do drugs, don't do drugs. Probably not going to help you. Yep, at some point you're going to fall off that wagon. Here's the question, why do you do drugs? Why did you do it in the first place? Hmm. Hmm. When you discover 
Why were you looking for that level of comfort in your life that normal things that weren't sin couldn't comfort you? When you discover the answer to those questions, somewhere in there is the actual stronghold that caused you to run into drug addiction. Think about people who cheat on their spouses. I cheat on my spouse. I I have a sex problem. I'm full of lust. Okay? Why did you cheat on your spouse? Why did you feel the need to do that? You knew it was wrong. Why did you do it? When you find the answer to that question, why do you keep going to porn? To comfort yourself. To feel something. Why? When you find the answers to those questions, (laughs) you're going to start to find the lies that is the actual stronghold. And here's the deal. That's what you need to deal with in spiritual warfare. Because if you don't deal with those lies the things you're believing, and honestly, I'm going to be honest with you, it's often those lies are at a heart level, which is below your subconscious, okay? They're at a feeling level very often. The devil knows how to get people to believe things intellectually and agree with them intellectually, but feel like the opposite is true, and you actually, your beliefs, with your heart, you believe and are saved, justified, with your heart. If you believe in your heart, confess it with your mouth. And so belief flows under the radar of conscious thought. This is really important for spiritual warfare. (laughs) Because when your emotions are really jacked up, and I go, oh, well, God is with you. Why doesn't that comfort you? Even though most of you go, I know that intellectually I believe that's true intellectually you believe that's true, why isn't it comforting you? If God is with you and for you, he's going to protect you and he's going to work all things to your good. There's a purpose for this. There's a reason. Or, or maybe it's just the devil and we need to get rid of it. But either way, if those things are true, why is it not comforting you? Because you're actually not believing it as much as your head says, yeah, 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 yeah. At a heart level, you're not act- actively believing it in that moment. And that's what you need to address. And so strongholds are beliefs. What we believe determines how we think. What we think determines the decisions we make. Decisions we make determine how we live, which determines our lives. And so no wonder Paul reaches, he's talking about strongholds. We have power to demolish them, and we take captive every thought. Why do we take captive every thought? So we don't allow strongholds to get built in our lives in the first place. Because when we let thoughts run through here that aren't of God, they get down into that heart level, which is where the foundation of belief is, and the devil builds those bricks. And then before we know it, we've got a castle fortress because we've been sailing through our lives on the surface of our lives, not thinking deeply about how we're feeling about things, not thinking deeply about how we're thinking about things. We're just, oh, that pressure me. Well, screw them. That's just how life is. Just plowing on. And the devil's like, yeah, don't think too much about it. Just shove it down and move on. And I'm going to keep building those bricks. And I get to live here rent-free and rule your life and ruin your life. And then when you go to church and you pray and you're like, it doesn't work. This this God's not even real. Oh, there's another one. Throw that one in there. He's building. You notice that castle fortress? There's different walls. There's lots of bricks. It's not just one belief. It's not just one lie. That's the shack. 
I mean, if he's only got one little belief or lie in your life, it's just a little shack in the woods. When he starts building brick by brick, wall by wall, tower by tower, all these different lies, then he's got a stronghold in your life. And it's complex. And so you deal with one, well, that's just the north wall. We'll get it repaired later. Let's, let's take him from over here. And so you need to be aware. I love how Joyce Meyer says you need to start thinking about what you're thinking about. <laughs> and I shared a few weeks ago that season of really traumatic uh, mental affliction that I went through. You know, OCD, anxiety, panic disorder. Apparently you can diagnose it now, but... Um, that's what I went through. It was, it was spiritual warfare. Mine was spiritual warfare. Maybe some of that is, is a natural cause in some people. I don't know. Mine was explicitly spiritual warfare, and I didn't know that because I didn't know all this stuff because I didn't have a church that taught this stuff, so on and so forth. I said that's why I'm so passionate about it. But one of the beautiful things about that season of suffering, you know, before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I live according to your word. Suffering can be a gift if you trust God through it. And one of the great blessings of that season of my life and a few other seasons of intense suffering that I went through that was all mental, emotional stuff, one of the great blessings is I am keenly aware at all times of what I'm feeling and every thought that goes through my head without being neurotic. You know, or, you, know like, you, can, you can be that way and be not in self-control and, and disturbed. I, I have peace most of the time. But I'm keenly aware. And so when little flots, flots, <laughs> flying thoughts, flots, learned a word tonight. When they fly in there and it's not of God, I'm like, whew, wait a second. What's that on the radar? That's not Jesus. You can ask my wife. I got up. I went to work on our house this morning and I said, pray for me. I just don't feel right today. I feel off. I feel down and I know enough to go, <laughs> something ain't right, and it ain't me. There's some oppression going on. I need to, I said a prayer. Of, I did the John Eldridge daily prayer on the way to our house to work on our house. Because I've learned, and I learned early, rec- early warning system. Y'all need an early warning system, right? You need the, you need the ring doorbell uh, on your thought life. So when thoughts start coming in that aren't of God or they're just, ugh, how are you going to know when thoughts are not of God? By memorizing the word of God. I have a lot of the word of God memorized and it's not because I try to memorize it like a school kid. It's just because I've read the Bible so many times and I read it every single day and you go to back to familiar passages and before you know it, it just be, it's written on your heart. You just know it. And when you're eating the word every day, you, it'll become part of you. And you need that. So when weird thoughts come in, you're like, ah, wait a second. And the Holy Spirit's like, remember this one? Remember this one? No, that's wrong. That's wrong. That's wrong. It is written. And the devil's like, it is written. And then the Holy Spirit's like, it's also written. So when when you realize, oh, this is a stronghold. And you might word it as, again, and pay attention to, man, I just, I know that I know this is true, but I really feel like this is true. And when you feel like this is true and it's not of God and it has an intense emotion with it and you can't shake that intense emotion, you're probably believing it in some way. Now, we're going to talk about this in a minute. There's probably a reason why you're believing that. 
or you're really, really tempted to believe it. And, and we're going to get into that here in a minute. But when you realize it's a stronghold, not just oppression, or you've done something to agree or partner with the enemy, praise God there's a way to pray through that, okay? And sometimes you can pray through it yourself and get free, and that's awesome. If it's a stronger hold, you may need the help, you probably do need the help of another Christian friend to pray through it, or pastor, or our ministry team, our spiritual health team, so on and so forth, okay? Depending on how strong the hold is. So, I'm going to tell you briefly how to deal with the stronghold, whether it's for yourself or when you're ministering to someone else. And this is, some, some of this is uh, from Open Heaven Ministries uh, prayer model. And I'm going to share a few other prayer models. And there's so much overlapping goodness. So many, I've studied many different deliverance and inner healing prayer models and just ministry models. And the, the cool thing is a lot of these people didn't learn from each other. And they're all saying the same things about how this works. And that's, I interviewed a Catholic priest who's an exorcist on Friday morning over in Indiana. Uh, back in the early 2000s, he was one of only 12 exorcists in the United States. And now there's 125. But he's just, this dude is so amazing. He's so full of the Holy Spirit. Just, oh, amazing man of God. And we're interviewing him about possession, which was really fascinating. <laughs> but we just start talking about spiritual warfare, deliverance, and I told my wife, there was one part where he said, well, oppression, you know, the thing about oppression is, and he said a few sentences, I'm like, and that was my sermon a few weeks ago. And I didn't learn it from him. I learned it from Holy Spirit. I don't know, where did he learn from? I don't know, the Vatican or wherever, but we're saying the same things. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is so cool. It's awesome. That's evidence of Holy Spirit, of truth. So, Interview. You need to do an interview. You need to search yourself. Know yourself. Especially if you feel like, oh, it's just depression. In the name of Jesus, leave me alone, blah, blah, blah. Not helping. Okay. <laughs> search me and know me, Lord. Lord, show me. Show me, Lord. Why is this happening? Can you please reveal this to me, Lord? Please. So ask the question, why, a lot. Okay. Now, another great question is, when did this start in my life? When did this start? Because sometimes you're like, why am I feeling this way? Like, I don't know. So for example, depression. I've always, I've always, well, I've always had bouts of depression off and on. So when you might say, why am I experiencing this? Okay, I just started feeling depressed a week ago. What happened then? You know, I got triggered, blah, blah, blah. When did it start though? When did you first start feeling depressed in your life, period? Oh, I know that was when I was 13. Oh, that's interesting. Pay attention to that. And I'm going to speak more into that here in a few minutes, okay? That's interesting. So you need to ask why. When did this start? Even like uh, my wife this morning, I was like, man, I don't feel right. I feel off, blah, blah, blah. I was like, I already, I've already thought through it. I know when it started. <laughs> it was the other day. And, uh, and I mentioned some things that had happened, you know, and different things. And uh, I, I know what the source is, which is helping me diagnose what I'm feeling. As men, especially us men. You women... I don't know what it is about women, but you know how you're feeling more often. You know how to put language to it, and you're way better at it than us. I didn't learn to start knowing that I, what my feelings were <laughs> until I was probably in my late 20s, early 30s. I'm not joking. Just like, I'm just feeling things, <laughs> you know? And it's like, I'm angry. I get angry a lot, right? 
I feel, I'm just down today. I'm just depressed. I'm just, and you know, and it's like, well, why are you depressed? Well, because I'm angry. <laughs> it's like, well, what are you angry about? <laughs> you need to diagnose yourself a lot of the time. It'll help. It'll help. And it'll help you pray through it more specifically. So, what, why is this, why am I feeling this? When did it start? When did I start feeling upset, you know, whatever I'm feeling? The, the nightmares, the bad dreams, you know, seeing demonic figures in your house, all that stuff. When did it start? Why? Same thing. Why, 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 why? Once you discover the why, once you are like, oh, it's this, this is what it is, okay? Repent. Change your thinking. Turn to God. I'm sorry, Lord. I want, and then renounce. And then renounce. In the name of Jesus, I, I renounce this. Renouncing means I don't agree with this and I don't want it in my life anymore. That's what renounce means. And then fourth thing, break. Break the bindings. Break the ties. Uh, I break my agreement. I renounce this and I renounce any participation or agreement that I've had with this sin, with these thoughts, with these things that aren't of God. Okay, again, different models use different language and they're saying the same thing. Open Heaven says, I renounce all the bindings on my life of sexual morality or whatever that came into my life when I shared my body with this person or these people or blah, 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 or any sexual immorality I've had. I renounce the bindings of lust, perversion, and sexual immorality that came into my life when I looked at the pornography. Okay? And I take back all authority that I ever submitted to spirit of lust, sexual immorality, or perversion in the name of Jesus. And in the name of Jesus, I break those, break those bindings and I command the demonic spirits trying to influence me, the spirits of lust, perversion, and sexual immorality to leave now in Jesus' name. That's one example. Now, that's open heaven's language. John Eldridge uses the language of participation or agreement. In the name of Jesus, I renounce any way I've participated with or agreed with this sin or these spirits. And I renounce my participation and agreement with it. Another model I've, I've learned is, and Father, I nail all that to the cross and I ask you to take it away from me or I ask you to send it away from me. Father, I nail all this to the cross and I ask you to send those spirits away from me. And if you hear me pray sometimes, I throw all those, I'm just like, I'm using them all. I break all the bindings. I renounce all participation agreement. Father, I nail it to the cross and I ask you to send all this away from me. And in the name of Jesus, I command the spirits of this, 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 and this to leave me now in Jesus' name or to leave the person I'm dealing with. Right? I like to use it all. All right? I just, it's like a machine. It's like, you know, when you just pepper them all in there. Right? So, interview. When did it start? Why is this happening? Once you feel like you found what that is, man, Lord, if you need to repent, God, I repent of this. God, I'm sorry for this. I renounce this belief or I renounce this sin. I renounce my participation agreement with it. I take back all authority that I gave over to the enemy by, by, by believing his lies, by doing what he wanted. And in the name of Jesus, I break these bindings. I, I, uh, I, I break my participation agreement. I break, the, the binding is the hold he has on you. It's the hold he has on you because of your participation agreement. And when you break that, guess what? Whether you're praying that or whether I'm saying repeat after me in a prayer session and I say, I break this in the name of Jesus. Do you know what you just did? Can you put the picture back up of the stronghold, the big castle thing? 
It's like Jericho. They march around, they blow the trumpets, and the walls just fall down. The weapons we fight with have divine power to demolish these things. I don't care how big it is. You know, in scale, I think there's actually people in this photo. I mean, that's massive stronghold. I don't care how big it is. When you recognize what it is and why it's there and you repent and you say, in the name of Jesus, I renounce and I take back authority and and God, I repent of this and I don't want this in my life and I renounce my participation in agreement and I break these by, guess what happens spiritually? Those walls, I don't care how big they are. The walls of Jericho were massive, like 20 feet high, like, like, how much, I don't know, 10, 12 feet thick, massive walls. There's no natural reason that they should have just fallen down without anybody touching them. But it was divine power that tore them down. So I don't care how big it is. When you come into agreement with the word of God, by the spirit of God, guess what happens? The walls just come crashing down. The enemy's exposed. He can't protect himself anymore. You are not protecting him anymore. And then you say, I agree with Jesus now. Get out of my life. Ah! And he runs out. And you're free. It's awesome. It's beautiful. Requires humility. We need so much more humility in the church. The shame that the enemy puts on us is to try to keep us from confession. And just being humble and just saying, I'm struggling. Like 10 years ago, maybe not 10, maybe 12, 15 years ago, if I'm struggling just for no reason waking up, well, now I'm just feeling like I'm a piece of crap and I just struggle when I wake up because I suck. So I'm not telling my wife because then she'll, I'm afraid she'll think I'm a piece of crap because I feel bad for no reason. So I'm not going to say anything. So I just keep feeling like a piece of, you know. But because I know I'm a man, I'm human, I struggle, I get oppressed, and I can be honest about that. Jesus was honest about that in Gethsemane three times. And he comes back and he goes, can't you guys keep watch with me for one hour? I'm struggling. That's what he was saying. Really? Please. Hmm. Guys, the more humble you are, some of you who struggle with things, the more humble you are, the easier it will be to get free. The faster you'll get free, the faster you'll heal. You know why? Because if you're 100% humble, God gets to be 100% gracious. God resists the proud and he gives favor, grace to the humble. So if you're 100% like, I'm an idiot, Lord, please help me. (laughs) God, I've done this. God, I've agreed with this. God, I want it out of my life. God, I'll do anything. And he'll go, anything? (laughs) Yes. Okay. And when you mean it, and when you're surrendered, and when you will do what he says, Oh, freedom's about to come real quick. And then he'll just dump grace on you. And you'll heal so fast. I knew a marriage one time, someone that I know really well, and found out there was infidelity. And we found out, I think it was eight to ten months after the infidelity. 
Now, usually as a pastor, I find out those things eight to ten months after the infidelity, and they're still a broken mess, and then you try to help them, and it takes another several years before things are restored, if they ever do get restored, right? This was eight months, ten months after the infidelity. They're fully restored, and they're telling me things like, you know, the, the victim in this occasion was saying things to me like, you know, I would, wouldn't ever want to live through that again. It was so difficult. And yet I wouldn't change it because our marriage is better now than it ever was before this. And I'm like, wow, what'd you guys do? And you know what? After talking with them and hearing the specifics, you know what it was? 100% repentance, 100%, not 99%, 100% on the the part of the uh, perpetrator. And 100% forgiveness, not 99% forgiveness, 100% on the part of the victim. That's what they did. They did go to counseling for about six months. But I know lots of people go to counseling for years, and and they're not any better off after five years of it. Why? Because somebody's not being humble enough to fully repent, and somebody's not being humble enough to fully forgive. And I'm telling you, if you will just be humble and admit, I'm struggling. Why try to keep, a, I'm a Christian, I should be better. My pastor's going to think less of me. Who cares what I think about you? What's God think about you? And he knows what you're going through, and he knows what you're struggling with. Just be humble. And about half the prayer sessions I do, I'm like, hey, me too. Yeah, I used to struggle with the same exact thing. And they're like, really? Okay. <laughs> Shame off you. Woo, feels good. Now let's actually just deal with the problem. Get you free. Get you healed up. Get you moving on. Get that mindset changed so it's not a stronghold anymore. All right, so that's how you deal with stronghold. Let me give you an example. Then we're going to talk about why strongholds are such strongholds. (laughs) So here's an example. Somebody says, I have depression. Now, if you're depressed, you can have it for a lot of reasons. I said this before. If you have a headache, body aches, you know, I don't know, some other symptoms I can't think of right now. If you Google those symptoms... There's like a hundred different diseases or cancers you could have. So different issues can have the same symptoms. So somebody has depression. Okay, cool. This is what I would say. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, when did that start? Well, I've kind of always had it. Okay. Did you have it as like a five-year-old? Well, no. Okay. In high school? Yeah. Okay. When did it start? Well, you know, it really started when I was 13. Okay. What happened when you were 13? Well, actually, my, was there some negative event? That, that caused that. And some people come and you go, oh, yeah. Oh, I know exactly when it started. When I was 13, my uncle abused me sexually. And, yeah, that's right after that I started dealing with this. Okay. Um, what happened after that? Well, I told my parents. By the way, the number of times I've heard this exact scenario is many times, actually. So this isn't one person. This is many people I'm talking about right now. Just change the age and maybe the family member, and it's many people. Okay, I told my parents. They didn't believe me. They took his side, called me a liar, then shamed me for making things up. Then they just moved on and acted like nothing happened. Wow, how'd that make you feel? Well, the abuse itself made me feel horrible, like I'm dirty, ashamed. Like if God was real, he would have stopped it. So maybe God's not real. Maybe he's not as good as... Everybody says, like, if I was worth loving, then nobody would do this to me, and especially not the people who are supposed to show me that I'm loved the most. 
Then when my parents didn't believe me and shame me, it made me feel like the people who are supposed to love me and protect most and protect me don't. So it made me feel like I'm totally alone in this world because since that day, I've been totally on my own to deal with this. That's a lot. That is a lot. So you're depressed because here's why. If that's you, here's why. You're believing lies that you're unworthy, you're dirty and impure, you are wrong. Not you, not you did something wrong because in that scenario, you didn't. It was done to you. But that's what shame is. Shame is not, I, oh, I did something wrong. Shame is, I am wrong. <laughs> Condemnation. Believing lies, God's not real because he would have protected me. And I'm all alone. I'm all alone in this life. It's up to me. Nobody's coming. Nobody's coming to help. Just going to have to get through it on my own. Think about this, church. Where do our joy and peace come from in life? Joy and peace. The fullness of joy, Psalm 16, is in his presence. He will keep Isaiah 26, verse 3, in perfect peace, those whose minds are stayed on him. So our joy and our peace come from the Lord, the presence of the Lord. So if stuff happens to you, or maybe you do stuff that causes you to feel like God's not really real, he's really not with me, and that's really what you're believing on a heart level, you're not going to have joy and peace. If you don't have joy and peace and you're not filled with the Lord, guess what you're probably going to have? Depression, anxiety, maybe suicidal thoughts. And I'm telling you, it's not just you. I'm telling you from personal experience, from helping lots of people, there are demons, they are real, and they jump on our trauma, wounds, sins, like fly on stink. And yes, there's natural emotions, but when something negative happens, I say it this way, they, it's like they take the knife and they love, they know how to twist it. And they make it feel a hundred times worse. And that's warfare. And then I'll say, oh, this is spiritual warfare. And somebody might be like, no, this, I'm just, I, I, I was abused. I mean, it's, I'm, I'm grieving. I get that. I get that. But if that happened when you were five and you're 35, you know what I'm saying? Like, that was traumatic. If you're still there, I'm telling you there's unhealed wounds there. That is part of it. And there's a, there's a demonic presence that is taking full advantage of your unhealed wounds and some of the lies that you've started to believe because of what happened to you, okay? Same thing happens when you sin. You sin, and then you feel guilty, and then you don't repent yet, and then the enemy comes and goes, you're a piece of crap, and you don't deserve this, and you, you're unworthy, and you're this, and all these lies form. And he's trying to get you to have worldly sorrow that leads to death. Godly sorrow leads to repentance. God will forgive me. I'm going to run to my father. Worldly sorrow is, I've messed up too much. I'm going to go to hell anyways, so why do anything? Just keep on living this way. That's a lie of the devil to keep you to keep living. That's a, that's a stronghold, man. So why do strongholds have such strongholds on us? He left Jesus until a more opportune time. The devil knows our opportune times. And there's a reason why secular counselors and sociologists talk about the wounds we have as children, father wounds, 
things that happen, you know, a lot of our problems as adults are things that happen as children. I'm just here to tell you that there's a lot of truth to that. Why is that though? Because as a child, you haven't fully formed beliefs about the, you're still forming your beliefs about the world, right? Your brain is forming, spiritual formation is happening. When the people who love you the most, or are supposed to love you the most rather, the people who are supposed to teach you truth and love and God don't or abuse you, oh my goodness, that teaches you some things to young impressionable children who don't know the word of God. It's no wonder they form these beliefs. And then they grow up and they're very broken adults. And I don't care how successful they are, they're broken inside. And they, they come up with other mechanisms to become successful, to overcome it. And they're still broken and there's still strongholds and there's still grief and pain and unforgiveness in there. And I'm just telling you, the enemy knows his opportune times. And very often the enemy will choose the wounds of your life, the trauma of your life, that's where he sows the seed of the stronghold. Why? Because if he comes to you in a good season and goes, hey, nobody likes you. You're like, whatever. Everybody likes me. I'm awesome. Have you seen my new sweater polo shirt? Everybody thinks it's great. The devil can't get to me today. When I put this on, it was like Lord of the Rings, that uh, Frodo's, what's that stuff called? What is it? Mithril. That's what this shirt is for me. Confidence, man. <sighs> Put this on. <laughs> he can't get to me today. <laughs> but in the moment of my greatest failure, then he comes and goes, nobody likes you. You suck. And I believe him. Why? Because it really feels true. He knows his opportune times, and that's when he comes. So, Charles Kraft is a deliverance minister. This is a really good book. It's called Two Hours of Freedom. It's a practitioner's handbook. His kind of thesis is, give me two hours with someone, and I'll get them free. Now, that's pretty bold, but this dude's been doing it. He's in his 80s, been doing it a long time, and he's helped thousands of people get free from severe issues, and he knows what he's talking about. And I really like this book. And it's got some different ideas, and it's a different, it's, it's really, I think, a balanced, a balance of inner healing and deliverance. Inner healing is healing those inner wounds, like some of the ones I've mentioned, abuse and things like that. Caroline Leaf talks about doing brain scans, and if you have trauma and abuse, like, you can literally see it on the brain scans. You're not, it's what she calls toxic thoughts, that they can witness. Thoughts are things, and they can see them on the brain scans, they, Thoughts create structures in your brain. It's evidence. Here's what I'm saying. It's evidence that when you have trauma and you don't deal with it right and you, you don't truly heal and forgive and all that, it's still there. <laughs> and that's the spot where the enemy likes to get a hold of you. And so, so Charles Kraft says it this way. He's like, man, demons are not the big deal. They're really no big deal to deal with. You got to deal with the reason they have the hold on the person. And he says it this way. It's like rats and garbage. If you have a whole bunch of garbage, your house is dirty, and you have rats, right? Because they're attracted to the garbage. He's like, you need to get rid of the garbage, and then you get rid of the rats. If you keep getting rid of the rats, but leave the garbage out, the rats just keep coming back, and eat. they just keep coming back. So when people have emotional wounds, when they have trauma, if we don't help them heal that, we can cast the devil out. They might feel better for a day. But because they have the wounds, they still believe the lies. 
And a week later, when they haven't been in church and they, they're not getting prayer, they're, the lies come back. They have a triggering moment. And they're like, oh, see, oh, oh, it's true. And the demonic presence comes right back and, and keeps ruling their life, controlling their life. And so he's like, you really need to, this is why in our, in our context, we do spiritual health. We always start, it's like, we kind of view it as a pastoral counseling session. We're asking you questions. And even so, when you share with us what's going on, and a lot of people will say, well, I just feel like this. And it's like, oh, God's not with me. It's like, okay, well, I'm going to speak this. And listen, that never should have happened to you. Let me tell you, God is here, and he is going to bring healing to this because that's what he does. He's going to prove to you that he loves you, he is with you, he's for you. What am I doing? I'm speaking truth to that wounded place. I'm speaking truth to that stronghold. I'm like, that's a lie. And, I, and, I, and it's, I'm not going, that's a lie. You're, you're an idiot, and you need to repent. Believe God loves you. That ain't going to help anybody. Why? Well, I feel like you don't love me, pastor. So forget you. And it solidifies the stronghold. You're just like everybody else. See, that's how God is towards me. See, God just says, pull up your, your bootstraps and keep going. No, he doesn't. Jesus comes and goes, oh. He weeps with you. And then he says, why don't you give that to me? And I'm going to show you I love you when I bring healing to that. That's what Jesus does. And so compassionate care is so important when you're ministering to people. I, I was in a prayer session one time with this man, and he was just talking for a very long time. And I'm talking like this was, this was supposed to be an hour and a half session, two hours, and it was going more like four because he talked so much. And I would ask him questions, and I would ask a yes or no, and he would just talk. I was getting frustrated. And I was about ready to start being like, hey, listen. <laughs> and I was praying in myself, like, come on, Lord. And he goes, Aaron, that's the demon. It's tempting you to shut him down. And I did several sessions with this person. And what I realized is they were very long sessions. And what I realized is the Holy Spirit showed me eventually he needed me to just listen to him. Because very few people in his life loved him enough to just sit and listen. And that brought healing to that lie in his life that nobody cares about me. And once he saw I would sit with him several times for several hours, he made statements like, I can tell you really care. I was like, well, that's because I do. I'm on salary. I'm not getting paid more. (laughs) I really do care. I really just want to help you. Then he let down his guard. The drawbridge came down. And I'm like, do you believe me now that we need to pray through this? Yeah, he's willing to trust me. Then we pray through it. Then he gets free. It was amazing. But it was love. It was compassionate care. We can't just go in blazing, yelling at the devil, because a lot of times we'll, they'll clam up, and it solidifies the stronghold in their life. That's why Jesus said love, 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 so important. So anyways, Charles Kraft says it's rats and garbage. Get rid of the garbage. And then the rats... They have nothing to, to hold them there. It's just like, oh, by the way, rats leave now. And it's easy. And he's saying what a lot, you know, Pablo Batari, who wrote Free in Christ, this is another book. Do we have Free in Christ picture? This is a cool book. You should read that. That's the mo- his model is what Open Heaven kind of bases their model off of. That's who they learned from. He's done over 30,000 personal deliverances of severe demonic issues. His team has done over a million so they know what they're talking about. And his model is, you know, Charles Kraft's talking about rats and garbage. He'll talk about legal rights. 
but it's kind of the same thing. You got this garbage you're not willing to let go of. You did some things and you participated and agreed with the enemy and that demon, I'm commanding it, but it's not leaving because you allowed it in and there and you're still agreeing with it. So, oh, why is it there? Oh, now we know why it's there. Because you did this sin or you went to this, you know, psychic or you played with that Ouija board. Now, renounce that, take back authority. Oh, we break that. Now it's easy to make it leave. And that's, I'm just telling you, that's kind of how it works. So, Charles Craft's talking about rats and garbage, but check this out. Healing care is another, it's really more of an inner healing ministry uh, by Terry Wardle, who has a phenomenal story, and I don't have time to tell you about it. But he, the Lord led him to develop, he developed, he went to school, he was a pastor, and then he developed, he went to school for, you know, counseling, psychology, and all this as well. And then he, the Lord gave him all this wisdom and knowledge and all this. But they, they have this, they call it the V diagram. And I love this. And this, I'm just going to show you one half of the V. But can you put the V diagram up there? That's one of his books, by the way, Healing Care. Healing Care Ministries, by the way, you can go online and they do online counseling and they're phenomenal. It's one of the first, when people want counseling, it's one of the first people I recommend. They're phenomenal. They're amazing. So anyways, so this is the way they describe it. Check this out. So most people, when they come to the pastor, they come up for prayer, they... They are talking about a life situation. Why do you need prayer? Well, my marriage stinks. It's in trouble. It's horrific. Okay. And people who don't understand strongholds and how the enemy works and the deeper levels of all these things, they'll just, oh, Lord, help their marriage in Jesus' name. I don't know. Man, I prayed. The Lord can do anything. All things are possible, but it's not getting better. Why is that? And this is what the wisdom that the Lord revealed to Terry Wardle. Because beneath the life, beneath this life situation that isn't good is really a def, usually dysfunctional behaviors. So, exa- for example, okay, well, why is your marriage not good? Well, my wife says I drink too much, and she's always on her phone interact, instead of interacting with me and the kids, and, and, and I'm addicted to porn. Is all that true? Yeah, it's all true. Well, that, that will make your marriage not good. You know, there's, there's, we're getting some answers here, right? I would contend we're still not ready to pray, though. Okay, what did I say earlier? Why are you guys doing all those things? Why is your wife avoiding you looking at her phone all day? Why are you going to the alcohol and the porn? Why, 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 why? Okay, well, there's emotional upheaval. Go a level deeper. I forgot I was supposed to have you do this. So there's a life situation. My marriage stinks. Look at your neighbor and say, go a level deeper. Why? Why? Ask him. Because there's a dysfunctional behavior. We talked about that. But look at your neighbor. Go a level deeper. Why? Why is there dysfunctional behavior? Oh, because there's emotional upheaval. I go to the alcohol because I'm depressed. I go to the alcohol because I have so severe social anxiety. And if I drink, I don't want to get crazy drunk. But I drink enough to where I relax. And I've just done that every day for a long time now. <laughs> well, that's not good. It's a coping mechanism. So there's emotional upheaval. Hmm. Look at your neighbor. Go a level deeper. Why is there emotional upheaval? Ah, there's some lies you're believing. I just feel all alone. I feel like God doesn't love me. I feel this. I feel that. Ooh, okay, now we're getting somewhere. This is the stronghold. This is the stronghold the enemy has 
go a level deeper. Look at your neighbor. Tell him, go a level deeper. Why? Why? Why do you believe that? Why do you feel that way? That Catholic priest I met with, he goes, you know, when I meet atheists, I often go, why, why are you an atheist? He said, I, I look for the story because there's always a story. I used to go to church, but I don't go to church because I used to go to church. <laughs> yeah, I'm not really a church person because all churches want is your money. Hmm. Why do you think that? And then comes the horror story. Because <laughs> there was a wound. Because they had spiritual abuse. Because some pastor or church had some sin. And they viewed money wrong. And they manipulated people. And that caused someone to believe a lie. That all they wanted was their money. And now they got angry about it. And now they're like, forget about going to church. Dysfunctional behavior. Now their life situation is I'm an atheist and my life's pretty terrible. But that's why. You see how many situations this could apply to you? Go a level deeper. Why, why, why? And here's what Terry Wordle says. The wound is the real thing you want to deal with, which that's what Charles Kraft is also saying. Here's what I'm saying. (laughs) All these different models are saying the same things. Why is that? Why is there spiritual warfare so much around people's trauma and wounds and a whole lot of false beliefs that usually started in childhood somewhere where bad things happened? Why is that? Because the devil knows his opportune times. So, how many of you have ever seen the movie Inception? One of the greatest movies ever created, by the way. Wow, like five of you. Come on, hands. Let's not be, some of you are like, it's rated R. It might be PG-13. Does it say on there? I don't know. There's some cursing and they're shooting, okay? <laughs> to shoot them up, as my mom says. Get VidAngel, you know, watch it. I don't know. It's a really good movie, actually. There is some shooting and some murder, but <laughs> I have to justify it now. Those of you who've seen it, this is going to blow your minds, but those of you who haven't, just, you know, sorry <laughs> for this illustration you're not going to get. But if you've seen this movie, It's a phenomenal movie, but the whole premise of the movie is it's the future, and they have this technology where uh, when somebody falls asleep, they hook this little machine up to them, and this other guy gets on the machine. It's kind of like the Matrix almost, a mini version. Travel. It's it's the travel Matrix is what it is. (laughs) And anyways, you guys aren't getting that, but anyways, uh, but they can, the guy who knows what he's doing can go into the other guy's dreams, and it's usually two guys, and one of them is he can create a whole dream world inside the other guy's dreams. So they create a dream world. They create a dream that this, the, the patient or the client is living out. And then the other guy is working in the dream to plant ideas in the person who's asleep. And it's actually like this crime syndicate thing going on. So, so the mafia basically hires these guys to go plant ideas in really high, powerful, you know, CEO, billionaire type people. So they'll do what the mafia wants. Okay, that's a, that's a basic idea. So it's kind of fascinating. Well, they say in this movie, if you go into the first level of the dream, you know, you, if you plant a lie, it's really not going to take root. What you have to do in the dream is get the person to fall asleep again and then do it all again. And it's a dream within a dream. 
And then the movie builds, and the, la- the, the main thing they're trying to do in the movie is with this one guy who's a rich, powerful guy. They're trying to plant this idea so he makes different business decisions that will change the world. You know, it's all this pressure, and it's all really important, you know. And they're like, no, we have to go three levels deep. It's a dream within a dream within a dream. And within that third level, they plant the lie. And he's going to discover it. And then they have to wake him up and wake him up. And then when he comes back to real life, he will believe the lie. It's a good movie. It's interesting. It's fascinating. I'm telling you, this is how the devil works with strongholds. One of his main strategies is to plant a lie within a wound, within a lie, within pain, within a lie, within trauma. And it's buried so deep in you, and he just covers it back up with things like, just move on, that you don't even notice. You don't know why you suffer the way you do. You don't know what's wrong with you. So you never address the root. You never address the lies. You never address the wounds. So he gets to stay, and he gets to keep influencing your life. And then you come to church, and you pray generic prayers like, help me, God. And it seems like nothing's happening because God actually is trying to help you. (laughs) The people of God are trying to help you, but you've got these lies bound up in your deepest wounds and trauma, and you don't want to let go. So you're actually participating with not letting God help you. Isn't that twisted? And then, well, they prayed over me. Well, I tried church, and it doesn't work, and I still have the problems I have. And now I'm mad at God, and now I'm going to say, I don't believe God's real. And he just goes another level deeper and another level deeper. So, Martin Lloyd-Jones, by the way, has a sermon on Mark chapter 9. And he says where they can't drive it out. And Jesus said this kind only come out by prayer. And he says this kind implies a stronger kind and a stronger hold. And to paraphrase, paraphrase what he's saying The demon is in too deep for ordinary ministry. It's time to pray. So, when we minister to people, and I've been, I prayed at the beginning of this message, I've been praying this week, that when I gave this message, some of you who have symptoms of things that you know are not of the Lord in your life, as I explained how the devil works in these things, that the Lord would begin rooting up in you. And you're going, I have always been depressed. Wait, not always. It did start when I was 10 or 15 or whatever. And so what I'm praying for right now is that things are coming into your mind. Memories. And I'm going to tell you this. We remember things for a reason. You know, that little Disney movie? Uh, What's that movie called about the memories? Kids row, come on, somebody, bell, let's go. <laughs> the Disney movie about the memories. Inside out. Inside out. Who said that? Raise your hand. Thank you. Look at this. Middle-aged man, you know, the kid row is just, wow, he's putting you guys to shame. I'm sorry, I know, he's, he's late 20-somethings, man. Sorry, I didn't want to offend you. All right. 
I'm a middle-aged man. All right. <laughs> they talk about core memories. You remember something for a reason. You remember it for a reason. You remember it for a reason. Don't ignore it. And it could be something silly. I've prayed with people who were, I'm talking severely depressed, suicidal thoughts every day. And we talk a whole bunch. And we land on, when I was a child, I was very shy. And my teacher called me out in front of the class and embarrassed me. And it horrified me as a, as a child, right? In like fifth grade, fourth, fifth grade. And then from then on, I, this is how I acted. And they, this little girl empowered that embarrassment, that shame, that fear, all the things that I feel, you know, self-hatred, self-loathing through more actions to try to avoid the control she exhibited in her life to try to avoid that ever happening again. And then it formed more beliefs and more beliefs. And she's all bound up in her late 30s, severely depressed. And, and I'm like, well, you know, I know, and she's like, but, but I mean, that's nothing. And I go, you remember it for a reason. Why don't we pray through that? And we did. And when we prayed through that right there, in the name of Jesus, I renounce the rejection that came into my life, and the self-rejection, which is self-loathing, which is self-hatred, which is also a sin, because God doesn't hate you. (laughs) So under the cross, the blood of Jesus, you're not allowed. Nobody's going to hate themselves in heaven, okay? See what I'm saying? Self-hatred is a sin. It's not of God. It's a trick of the devil. I know that one real well. Self-loathing, self-hatred, I suck, all that stuff, okay? You got to repent. I'm sorry, Lord. In the name of Jesus, I renounce all bindings of anger, bitterness, hatred, and resentment that I've ever had against myself <laughs> for these things I don't like about myself. I renounce all my participation and agree with it. I, I nail it to the cross. Father, I ask you to send it away from me. These are ways you can pray for yourself. And here's what I would say. Y'all need to go home and pray for yourselves in these ways. And here's the deal. As you're praying for yourselves... <laughs> If you pray for yourself and you find it didn't really help and you're still kind of disturbed emotionally, you should reach out and set up a prayer session and let some of our uh, ministry team, spiritual health team, pastor, whoever, pray with you, okay? Also, if you go to pray and you find that you can't or you get confused or you feel weird things in your body or you feel scared or weird stuff happens in your house, as you're trying to pray by yourself for yourself. That's the enemy trying to stop. It's what we would call manifestation. So it's becoming, (laughs) he's revealing himself there a little bit. That's not something to get scared of. You just let us know and say, all right, well, let's set up a prayer session. And and it will be uh, very helpful. I'll just say it that way. And, uh, if you're willing, if you love Jesus and you're humble, oh, it, we will get rid of the problem for sure. If you're humble and you love Jesus and you work with us, oh, it'll, that's when it's easy, right? 100% humble, 100% favor of God, 100% grace. So strongholds are are a big thing and they have a stronghold on us and like i said they're often they play into different wounds and different traumatic experiences and different sins 
And I had some strongholds of condemnation and shame in my life years ago. And, and honestly, it was a combination of some traumatic things that happened to me and sin that I committed that, that I repented of and I was free of. But I always hated that I did that. I always hated, you know, myself really forever. Just like, oh, I suck so bad because I did that stuff, you know. And just some other wrong beliefs about God, you know, and, and life and myself. And it was this weird spiderweb mix of all three. And so it's come, and at different seasons of my life, God has so graciously walked me through. It's like, it's like an onion, you know, as, as Shrek says, you know. <laughs> Is that Shrek? I don't know. Anyways, I never liked Shrek. Anyways. I, it gets on my nerves. I do not like that movie. I like a lot of kids' movies. I never have liked Shrek. But anyways, nothing against DreamWorks, like a lot of their other movies. <laughs> but it's like an onion. It's, there's layers. There's, it's complex. And it's a process. Or it can be a process, I should say. If you know what the issue is, there are people who are like, oh, I know what my issue is. And God has sent them on a journey of preparing and they know what the issues are, and they know why they have them. They just don't know how to pray through it. We sit down, and it's like, oh. <clears throat> There's been people come up and go, hey, I'm what you said today, I'm so struggling. I was abused when I was five, blah, blah, blah. I've always been this way. I'm like, let's pray <laughs> right now, right after church, right here. Why? Because you know what it is. Let's pray through that, you know? And you discern if they're ready to forgive the person and all that, because <clears throat> that's important. But, man, freedom can come in an instant. And when you're ready... When you're ready and you're humble and you really go through it the way the Lord wants, freedom does come in an instant when, when you're at that place. And then after you're free, then comes the process of living out your freedom, renewing your mind. If those lies were so strong and powerful that you lived that way for years, guess what? You've got to start thinking differently now because the enemy will jump in those old thought patterns like Pastor Matt did this. You know, he talked about going around in the circle. You know, that's his comfort zone. It's all this ick stuff, right? He talked about that last week. And even you can get set free from the enemy's influence, and you feel like, woo, I'm free. Praise the Lord. But then you get triggered, and something touches on those old wounds, and, and it's you need to renew your mind. You need to be learning God's word, going to church, praying, so that your mind, your mind literally changes your brain. That's a whole other topic. That's spiritual. That's power. That's awesome. God renews your mind. It actually changes your brain structures. You actually change literally as a person. And you don't think like you used to. So then the enemy comes. Oh, can you put the stronghold back up picture? Then the enemy comes. Once you've renewed your mind in Christ for years. And Caroline Leaf teaches that, you know, 30 years ago when they're trying to help traumatic brain injury patients. That back then they thought your brain is just fixed. If you get injured, your brain gets injured, can't ever change. Her and, and several others around the same time were working with traumatic TBI patients. And they were like, start using your thoughts. Start saying these positive declarations. And using thought, using the mind, over time, they healed the brain. And they proved, they proved neuroplasticity. That's awesome. But here's, here's the deal. When you get set free, then you start discipleship. You start reading scripture, learning scripture, praying scripture to those areas. It's renewing your mind. Your brain literally changes. And guess what happens? A new stronghold gets built. 
And it's not this one, it's the stronghold of God. The stronghold of God's word. So then the enemy comes back and goes, hey, guess what? You suck. You have a failure. And he comes back and goes, you suck. And you go, no, I don't. I'm over that. I got the stronghold of God's identity in me. I have the mind of Christ. That was a failure. I'm going to learn from it. It's going to become my greatest lesson. I'm going to have greater success in the future because of that failure. It, God works all things together for the good. And it's just like, boom, now the enemy can't get an arrow in edgewise on you. And so you got to live it out. And man, if this stuff started when you were five through trauma and you've lived in it for 30 years, you can get free in a moment, but now you've got to live it out and you've really got to be a disciple of Jesus. It's Jesus or nothing. There are people, Catholic priests told me this, and I just looked at one of my friends who went with me. And I, we just laughed because I'm like, we experienced this. There are people who are so broken, they know they have demonic issues and they come to us. They're like, please get rid of this thing. Just say a prayer, get rid of it. And we're like, uh, we want to spend a lot more time with you because it's a little more complicated than that. And we actually could do that potentially. But if you don't love Jesus, <laughs> this thing, Jesus said, we'll go get seven more of its friends and come back. And you have no defenses. You don't have a stronghold of God in your life. And your life will end up worse than when you came here. It's G you need Jesus. You don't need us to say a magic prayer and make it leap. You need Jesus as your Lord and Savior he is your fortress. He is your stronghold. So I'm going to give you some homework to go home and pray some of those prayers over your own life. Okay? Again, you can use the John Eldridge daily prayer and modify it for some of the things that God is showing you about your own issues. And so would you guys just stand and I'm going to pray. And I am going to invite you up. If you know that you have an issue and you're like, I have tried praying, I am not going to be able to do this on my own, come up and talk to our ministry team. We have these cards up here that are, I thought I had one with me. It, it's like our welcome card. And so ministry team, if you talk to somebody, they're like, and they need a prayer session, just get their contact info. Thank you. It's got name, email, phone. This is what we do for new guests too. Have them fill it out. And then just write on the top, spiritual health. And then Pastor Ruth will know to reach out and set up a prayer session for them, okay? So that's available today. Because a lot of these issues, when we're talking the deepest traumas of your life, most of the time, actually, we're not able to just, hey, let's, why don't you just start telling the worst things that's ever happened to you right here and while everyone sits around and listens. Like, we realize uh, confidentiality is really important. And so um, I want to pray. Was there any ministry team members that had a word briefly? Anybody? We good? Okay. Let me pray. God, I just thank you so much for our time together tonight. I thank you for what you're doing in this place. And I thank you for your word. And I thank you for this teaching. I thank you, Jesus, that greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. And you're greater than any stronghold we're facing, any hold the devil has on us. If we confess our sins and confess our traumas, confess the things that have happened to us, confess our what we're struggling with because of it. Oh my goodness, we pray for each other and you heal us. And you promise us that in James 5. So I just renounce pride over our church in Jesus' name. I pray for humility to come and I pray for trust and courage that we are a church that honors people. We, we do confidentiality well because we just want to care for people and help people get free in Jesus' name. 
And so I just pray, Lord, that you would show these people and show us all this week even if there are strongholds in us that we need to break and renounce and get free of. And I just pray, Lord, that you would renew our minds. And I pray, Holy Spirit, you're the great teacher, that you would lead us each on a journey where you teach us and train us by your word and set us free and bring us into the freedom, the full freedom of the knowledge of Jesus and of your word and of your truth. And we thank you for that in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.